0: So I want to deal with this contrast. The contrast is between biblical faith and the Catholic Church. You see the chart. You should have a copy of it. The topics are down the center. The main topics that Catholics would admit are the main topics we should address On the left hand side are the words of God himself in the Bible and on the right hand side is this book here in paragraph quotations. The Catechism of the Catholic Church compiled by the present Pope when he was Cardinal Ratzinger. It's official first hand Catholic teaching. You cannot get anything more official than this. So we have a contrast between what is official Catholicism in modern day life and what is in the written word of God. The first topic is the most foundational of all. What is the basis of truth? What is the standard by which we judge truth? How do we know absolute truth? How do we know, spiritually and in every aspect of life, what is true? Christ Jesus said it all in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 35. He said, Scripture cannot be broken. That is the absolute that cannot be gainsayed, cannot be spoken against. And that is the first quotation I give here on the chart. You will see also that the chart is printed you needn't use it now but it's printed in the little tract. This is to give it to you so that you can hand this to a Catholic at the grocery store in the su- wherever you go at the bank or at the gas station this is a little tract where you can very correctly and compassionately reach Catholics with that little tract. But this first quotation shows what the Lord said. Scripture cannot be spoken against. It cannot be gainsaid. It cannot be broken. And the Lord identified truth with the written word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's not simply that the Bible contains truth, it is truth. Thy word is truth. The apostle. Uh, Paul told us not to think above that which is written. We're commanded not to add to God's words, lest He reprove us and we be found to be liars. And we know by heart we should Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen about how sufficient Scripture is for all things, given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that, that the man of God may be perfect truly furnished unto all good works. That is the absolute sufficiency of Scripture. Now this topic is most serious and it was what grieved Christ Jesus most of all. Why? Because the Pharisees equally loved their traditions. And he called them white at sepulchers, blind leaders of the blind. He said they were teaching the doctrines of men and not the truth of God. And in Mark 7.13, he told them they were making the word of God of none effect to their tradition. This is what grieved Christ Jesus, so he withstood the Pharisees to their face. And so we have to see then, what does the Catholic Church say on this most foundational of all topic? The Catechism is divided into little sections called paragraphs, and that's the way the Catholic Church itself quotes from this book. It's like it has verse numbers, it has paragraph numbers, so you can give small sections at a time. So paragraph 80 of the Catechism, quotation: sacred tradition and sacred scripture then are bound closely together and communicate one with another. If you take any Bible and look at it, it doesn't look like it's communicating with anything. It's the, it's the word of God once delivered to the saints. It's it's finished. But they have this idea that it's somehow communicating uh, with sacred tradition, which they put first. Then they go on in the following paragraph to tell you, and holy tradition, and it's printed like we have it here, with the holy in brackets. And holy tradition transmits in its entirety the word of God which has been entrusted to the apostles by Christ the Lord and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not come last. The Holy Spirit is the one who wrote the word of God, true men of God. He, He gave us the written word. He is the one who transmits it. He convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. From beginning to end, The written word of God is the work of the spirit of truth, the scripture calls him. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who transmits, and not any holy tradition of any church. And so this is a real agony when you know what the scripture says. It's not transmitted by any holy tradition. The conclusion is in paragraph 82. As a result, the church does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. And so they tell you they don't accept Scripture alone to derive certainty. And they equally love... Tradition as they do the scriptures with devotion and reverence. Now, how, what plane is this on when you say you have equal love of tradition as you have? It's like it's, it's, it's on a plane which is unique. The Bible gives us the mind of God, the thoughts of God, and so it's on a unique level. And say that you love a tradition which you do not define and tell us what it is, equally to the written word of God, is adulterous. It's like a man saying to his wife, well, I love you, honey, but I have equal love and reverence for my secretary. (laughs) Well, what would you think of him? I mean, on that level, you don't have any equal love and reverence for anybody else. And on the level of God's written word, We do not equally love and reverence any other authority. It's the absolute authority. So this should grieve your heart. And this is where you begin witnessing to Catholics. You know, when I was at the restaurant last night with the pastor and with uh, Hugh McCann, we, I asked the waitress, have you read your Bible today? Now, she had a good answer, but usually it's not so good. You say, well, I go to church. I go to the Catholic church. And then you begin asking the person, you know, have you read the Bible? And you find that Catholics do have some sort of a love for the scripture, and you can lead them more and more to read the scripture and quietly begin to show them that this is the absolute truth. And that's where all witnessing begins. And if we do not establish this principle, all the rest will not fall in line. So this is the key point. We have to know what to say. And it's, it's really difficult because the Catholics have an absolute. It's not God and his inerrant word, read the next paragraph that I quote here, paragraph 891, the supreme pontiff in virtue of his office possesses infallible teaching authority when as supreme pastor and teacher of all the faithful he proclaims with a definitive act that a doctrine of faith and morals is to be held as such. They have a man in Rome called the Pope and he is inerrant, he is infallible, so they say. The Popes have contradicted Popes, Some have been condemned as heretics by church councils. Nonetheless, they say that all popes are infallible. And then, quietly in talking to a Catholic, you've got to say, let God be true and every man a liar. There's nobody who has the gift of infallibility. That's, that's an attribute of God. We look to God for truth, not to man. And you can say that, and this is not an emotional topic, and you pray that God would open the hearts of precious Catholic people, and he does. But this is the foundation that must be established in reaching out in love to Catholic people. We have a whole article on this, if you want to go into more detail, called The Certainty of the Written Word on our webpage. The most important thing for... Sinners dead in trespasses and sins is the next topic. Salvation by grace alone. How are dead sinners saved? How are we made right with God? When we read what the Catholic Church says, paragraph twenty twenty one, quotation: "Grace is the help God gives us to respond to our vocation of becoming His adopted sons. It introduces us into the intimacy of the Trinitarian life." Grace is a help, a tool, a means by which, just as a woman would use an iron to iron her husband's shirt or a frying pan to fry an egg, it's a help. A man would take down his black and decker power drill to bore a hole in the wall or something, or, you know, it's a help. That's how they define grace. And then they go on to say, the Church affirms that for believers the sacraments of the new covenant are necessary for salvation. Sacramental grace is the grace of the Holy Spirit given by Christ and proper to each sacrament. They say that this so called grace it comes by sacraments. Seven uh, ordinances that they call sacraments, or well, they're not ordinance of God, they're ordinance of the Catholic Church. There are rituals, seven of these, by which you n- need them to be saved. Necessary for salvation. And then they have the audacity to say that sacramental grace is the grace of the Holy Spirit. The power that comes out of these is Holy Spirit power. It used to really bother me as a priest when for years, I heard confessions, and you know, you're in a box, and somebody's whispering their sins into your ear, and they're just right close to you. There's just a little wire mesh between you and them, and they're telling you all your sins, and you say, as a priest, "I absolve you from all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." And they come back week after week with the same sins. You know, you you just wonder what what am I doing, you know what I mean it's like a microwave that goes around and nothing, <laughs> nothing's going on inside you know, it's, it's, it's frightening when you actually do the sacraments and Catholics know it doesn't deliver, so you've got to really know what scripture says, and that's why we look over at the Bible quotations Romans 3.24 Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The previous verse told you that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then how you made right. Freely by his grace you're justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through the payment, Christ lived the perfect life, died the perfect death. That is payment for everything. It's God's grace it's who our God is. It's not a tool or a help. This is who our God is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is who God is. The apostle Paul said it's the power of God unto salvation. This is not a tool or a help that you respond. This is who our God is. And that is the good news that you have to give. It's amazing when you go to banks to witness, and you find many Catholics in banks, and you know they're taught customer service, so they must listen to you. And uh, you know you begin witnessing to the teller, and it's amazing when you begin to explain that it's God's power that makes us right with God. I've seen so many things happen in banks. And it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to explain when a person says, I am a Catholic, and you begin to explain to them that God so loved the world. It's no church that saves. It's the power of God. When we realize we're dead in sin. and This is what we've got to imbibe and be able to give and transmit in daily life. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is God's free gift. It's who God is. It's through faith, which is God given as well. And it's not of works. It's not any ritual, any sacrament, any good deed that we do. It's solely from God. And that we may reign in righteousness, know the abundance of grace and the glories of what Scripture says who God is in his graciousness. And this is how we reach out with love and the power of God. It is just unbelievable what the Lord can do. I was coming back from New York some some years ago and uh, my wife phoned me. I was uh, leaving Long Island and she said, I'm praying for a divine appointment on the plane. And um, I was sitting beside a very corpulent American and I'm pushed over to the window seat. You know, he's in the middle seat and he's on his cell phone. And then when we take off, he has his laptop up and man is a self made man. And after two coffees, I still don't know what to say to him. And so I'm and I get up and I see a black stewardess and everything quietened down and I start witnessing to her. Man, did she listen. So uh, I came back to my place and I sat down. And I said, did you see me talking to the stewardess? He said, I did. Well, I said, let me tell you what I said to her. <laughs> <laughs> and man, he listened. And then he said one question. He put up his finger like this. He said, do you think God is on my case? And I said, what? He said, when I got into the plane, somebody gave me this tract and he pulled it. He said, the lady in the middle seat, and now you tell me, is God on my case? (laughs) Talk about divine appointment, he tells me. (laughs) God is on his case. When you pray and ask God in daily life for divine appointments, he sets them up. You're a sovereign grace church. You believe that God is sovereign. Ask him to sovereignly set up opportunities so that we have people in the pews here who are saved by daily witnessing from this church. That is awesome when you see God set it up. That's the God we serve, a mighty God we serve. And he he is a God of grace, and who, he will arrange the opportunities for us to talk about his grace. It comes through faith, and you, this is where scripture is, is so crystal clear that you think this could never be twisted or turned. The object of faith is Christ Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved, thou and thy house. It's The person of Christ and his finished work, that's the object. And it is um, obtained from God. To them that have obtained precious faith with us, the Apostle Peter said, it's God-given. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's through the written word of God. It is true scripture, it's God-given, and the object is Christ Jesus. It's like the scripture has focused exactly what faith is. Now this is the most horrendous twisting that the Catholic Church does. And this is where we precisely have to have it in our minds when we reach out to Catholics. What is in their mind so that we can show them what the scripture says. Paragraph 168 It is the church that believes first and so bears, nourishes, and sustains my faith. They begin by focusing on the church that she believes first. Paragraph 169. Salvation comes from God alone, but because we receive the life of faith through the church, she is our mother. So it turns out that Mother Church is the one that we uh, receive the life of faith through Mother Church. And then the conclusion, paragraph 181. Believing is an ecclesial act. It is a church act. The church's faith precedes, engenders, supports and nourishes our faith. The church is the mother of all believers. No one can have God as Father who does not have the church's mother. And so, where is your faith? In Mother Church. You cannot have God as your father if you don't have a mother first. You must have a spiritual mother. They say it. That's what they believe. When I left the Catholic Church and I telephoned my family and I wrote to my family in Ireland, they told me, each one, you have lapsed from the faith. You no longer believe in the church. I've fallen from the faith. Yes, I don't believe any church saves. <laughs> I believe it's God who saves. And I look to Christ Jesus. But that, that's their mind. And that's what they teach. And that's what we most of all have got to get over to Catholic people. When you hand out this tract, and they say, well, you're coming against my Catholic church. You say, no church saves. It's the person of Christ Jesus. And that disarms them. And that's what we have to understand, is how the minds of of Catholics have been twisted to look to Mother Church. Mother Church is the one who does everything for them. You believe in Holy Mother, and even calling her Holy Mother is horrendous. And we disarm them by saying, no church saves it's only God. It's the graciousness of our God. So that's the most difficult of all topics, but we have to really deal with it and ask the Lord to give us the opportunities to share this with others. Um, a few days ago, I was uh, driving to Walmart to get reverse osmosis water, you know, and we like purified water and I, I hate driving the whole way just a 15 miles each way to get water and I was praying that the Lord would give me opportunity, while I was at the well <laughs> I, uh, nobody was there and then a man came along and there's two faucets where you go and he took over one and I said, man, he just came in and took my second faucet and here is he working away and I said, well I'm not going to send them to him <laughs> And then another guy came in a, one of these motorized wheelchairs and he said, I went over him and I said, old age is not for sissies. He had oxygen coming out of, into his nose. And he said, no, say that again. And I said, do you know the Lord? And he said, what? And then I started explaining who the Lord was to him and man did I started to witness. And so much so, Scott, the other man, finished and he came across and he listened. So I got two... <laughs> two opportunities to explain faith in Christ Jesus, faith in a person. And the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And that's, that's what warms my heart most of all, is when he shows you in daily life how you can speak about these things. Praise God you have a pastor who preaches them, but he preaches them so that you in daily life can say these things to people in all types of circumstances. My wife is great at witnessing to the hairdresser, and in 23 years of marriage, I think I've made mistakes only three times, when I can tell if there's a gash gone out of one side or something, I say, I said, you told that gal that she was dead in (laughs) sin. I know that. I know that it's a, you know, we have opportunities that in daily life, and this is what we must really get home. And you meet Catholics there besides other people who need to, to know about faith in Christ and Christ alone. The, the sacrifice of the Mass is probably the most difficult, traumatic topic because this is where the Catholic lives. We've got to see what they say. They go to Mass today, Sunday. Some, like Shemi, of Vic and Shemi, she told me about going to Mass each Sunday, each day, each weekday at one stage of her life. You know, Catholics are devoted to the Mass because they have Christ being offered again. And look what they say, exact words. In this divine sacrifice, which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in a non bloody manner. He is offered, it's not past tense. Those of you who were Catholics know that what the priest said, and this is the exact words and the exact sign, he said, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. And everybody would say, may the Lord accept the sacrifice from your hands. We were offering the sacrifice of Christ. It's horrendous, but that's what they teach and they teach that he is contained, that Christ is in the communion bread, that you're eat, physically eating his body and drinking his blood. This is what the Catholic Church teaches. This is highly emotional. and we, we usually leave this in witnessing to when a Catholic is saved, and we've dealt with grace and faith and the foundation being the Bible alone, and try to get a person beyond this after they're saved. In my own life, I only came to really deal with it after I was saved. It is very traumatic and highly emotional. The devotion they've had on their knees, worshipping the bread, and offering their pain, or their cancer, or their whatever it is, their ulcers, they're offering their pain with Christ, with Christ in the Mass, it's highly emotional. To see how emotional it is, let's read a second quotation. In the, the Eucharist, is also the sacrifice of the church. The church, which is the body of Christ, participates in the offering of her head. With him, she is offered whole and entire. Mother church is suffering with Christ, suffering in the Mass. And we used to teach people to offer your suffering I had people dying of cancer and everything in the West Indies and I'd say, offer your pain with Christ's pain at the Mass. It's, it's horrendous teaching. Mother Church is suffering. That is the people who make up Mother Church with Christ. And so your sufferings become a participation. They become a sharing of with Christ. Talk about damnable doctrine. Damn somebody to hell to think that you can suffer for your own sins. It is it is horrendous. But this is what's in the mind of Catholics, and particularly what devout Catholics live. So we have to address it by going back to Scripture. What does Scripture say? Christ said on the cross, it is finished. The word in Greek is tetelestai, absolutely complete. His work was accomplished, what the Father gave him to do. It is totally and absolutely done. He died for his own, and he completed the work the Father gave him to do for those whom the Father gave him. Complete and utterly finished. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. He's not suffering anymore. He's glorified the right hand of God. For by one offering he had perfected forever them that are sanctified. It's one offering once offered. The scripture is absolutely brilliantly clear. When he had by himself purged of sin sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. By himself. The Bible given to the saints, you know, the Texas Receptus from which we get our King James, you know, is had of course those Greek words by himself and the other translations that we have, you know, come down through the different other sources like the Vaticanus and these other codexes leave out those Greek words. They're utterly essential. Christ by himself. He wasn't with the participation of anybody. He was by himself. And that we have to, to reveal and pray that the Lord would reveal by his written word to Catholic people after they're saved, most of all, because it's too traumatic to deal with as a primary doctrine before as of before they, the Lord actually saves them. Turning the page, we have possibly the most important topic because it deals with the nature of God. The Scripture teaches that God is the only all-holy one and the only source of holiness. We may ask, what is God? What is the nature of God? And the scripture shows us who God is. It shows us his attributes, his infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and his being, wisdom, holiness, justice, power, and truth. God's nature, but of all the attributes of God, holiness is the most emphatically emphasized in Scripture because that is the distinguishing attribute. And so the Scripture says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. His holiness is thrice emphasized because He is. By nature distinguished the thrice holy God. And so emphasized in Scripture. Revelation fifteen, four says, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, and all nations shall come and worship before thee. He only is holy. This is who our God is this is his distinguishing attribute first samuel 22 there is none holy as the lord there is none besides thee neither is there any rock like our god there's none like unto god and you would say well there's nobody who claims to be christian would deny this or add to this or this is this is who god is look what the Catholic Church says and it's written out exactly word for word as I have it here in their Catechism. Paragraph 2677 By asking Mary to pray for us we acknowledge ourselves to be poor sinners and we dress ourselves to the Mother of Mercy, The All Holy One. They call Mary The All Holy One and this, the capital letters are there in the Catholic Catechism. And it gets worse, it goes on in paragraph twenty thirty. From the church he, that is the baptized Catholic, learns the example of holiness and recognises model and source in the All Holy Virgin Mary. They see the source of holiness in a human creature. It's God so loved the world. It's not any human creature that is the source of holiness. This is as horrendous as you could get. It is difficult to witness. This is like hardball witnessing. You know, you don't, you're careful. I was speaking at John MacArthur's church in 1997. There was a group of us there. (coughs) We had Catholics coming to protest that we should be speaking about Catholicism. So we went out to witness to the protesters. And I had this paper with me and I gave it to one of the young men and he said, My church does not say that. Now, I did happen to have with me the catechism. And I said, "Here," And he opened it, and he was aghast. <clears throat> he actually asked to speak to John MacArthur, and he got in speaking with John MacArthur. From what we could see, the Lord had convicted that young man, that his church could say that. Now, this is, may not be the place to begin, but it may be with some stubborn Catholic's who don't know their own teaching. Because <clears throat> who is there that does that would say that a human creature is the All-Holy One? And Even unsaved Catholics can be taken aback at this. So if the Lord leads you, this is a place. If the Lord leads you, but it's a difficult topic. I would recommend to this church, and something that my wife has memorized more than myself, but Spurgeon's Catechism. You you know the uh, Chapel Library that print my testimony. They also print Spurgeon's Catechism, and they will send it free of charge or for a donation. Spurgeon gives the essential questions to ask people and instruct the young and and adults. Question number four is: What is God? The question: What's the nature of God? And the reply is, God is a spirit, infinitely eternal, unchangeable, as being, wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness, and power. And they give a scripture quotation for each of, the def- each of the attributes of God. And so it does with all the questions. What is justification? What is sanctification? It is a wonderful tool for young people and for Sunday schools, for young people, and for adults too, Spurgeon's Catechism, it's utterly a Baptist catechism, you know, it's it, it recognized believers' baptism. It was not like the Westminster catechism, but it's, it's, a, it's utterly graced of God because it's graced with scriptures. And I would recommend that to you, and it's a good thing to give to a Catholic after they're saved because it gives them a precise way of seeing faith done so precisely by Spurgeon. One mediator between God and man. The scripture says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You would say that One means one, and nobody's going to change that. Well, the Catholic Church has other ideas. Look at paragraph 969. They say, quotation, taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside the saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of salvation, of eternal salvation. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked, in the church under the titles of Advocate, Helper, Benefactress and Mediatrix. So we have a masculine mediator and a feminine one, a Mediatrix. So we have a masculine and a feminine one, so you end up with two and not one. And it's sad that when you go to the Catholic churches, I passed one here yesterday, and there's a big statue of Mary outside, it's the the feminine one always takes predominance in the, in the statues, anyway, and most of the names are to Mary. You know, it's a, it's um, it's quite horrendous that they do believe there's another mediator. It actually is abominable, not just there, but in the other things that they call her advocate, helper, and benefactress. Christ Jesus spoke about another advocate the Holy Spirit would be given to us. He was the other advocate, divine Holy Spirit. He was to be the one to guide us into all truth. Holy Spirit is our guide. He is our benefactor. These are who our God is in the Holy Spirit. They're not any human creature. So all of these so-called prerogatives of Mary are blasphemous. Blasphemous. And if that doesn't give you the zeal to reach out to Catholics, I do not know what does. A man for me from Maryland one day and he said, Richard, do you witness in the express lane at the supermarket? And I said, Well the express lane is the express lane. He says, does the commandment, go ye, stop in the express lane? And I said, Meroffi, no it doesn't. (laughs) And he told me about witnessing to a lady behind him in the express lane. She brought him home afterwards and to her husband. And how down the line the Lord saved both of them. But the express lane at the supermarket, besides the other, is a place where we give the gospel. And I am amazed to see what God does. Besides Catholics, I've found Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and all types of people. And we have tracks with us, Ultimate Questions by John Blanchard or some other booklet to give them. I am amazed. I saw a lady in an Albertson supermarket save way back when we were in Portland. It's amazing what God does. Even in the express lane. His power is sovereign. So I would really urge you to not to be ashamed of the gospel. And if you don't say anything in the express lane, can you say the words of the apostle? I'm not ashamed of the gospel when you're ashamed, you don't ever speak about it. So this is what we we try to do and try to point people to the one mediator. And when we find Catholics, we witness to them. One of the difficult things is witnessing to security guards at the airport. But in Traverse City, I was coming out. <coughs> there was two, you know, when they take your bags after they've been scanned and they're helping you to get the things off the trays and get you out of there. And I said to the gal, I said, um, have you read your Bible today? She said, I'm Catholic. And I started to explain to her. So much so that another man who was over there he hears and he comes on. He said, What are you saying to her? I said, I says, The Catholic Church doesn't save, no church saves, it's Christ alone. He listens. Security guards at the airport, even there, God can sovereignly work. And some of these people that I have at different places reached out to, you, you, you just wonder. Will I see that person in the kingdom when you see the Lord opening things up? Pray even in difficult circumstances, even security guards at the airport. Pray that God would give you an opportunity to give the word so that he would save to the uttermost his own. We come to the possibly the more difficult topic, and that is idolatry. Because the scripture is so emphatic, we would say that this is this is a topic that we just must obey what God says. Let's read what the scripture says. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image <coughs> or any likeness of anything. Thou shalt not bow thyself uh, to them <coughs> or, nor serve them. <coughs> this is God's command to us. Now, how do we interpret Scripture? We interpret Scripture through Scripture. How does the Scripture explain this commandment? It does in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, even ten commandments. He wrote them upon two tables of stone. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourself, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day the Lord spake lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure. So at Mount Horeb, at Sinai, they only heard the voice of God. They didn't see any shape of God. They saw no similitude. And what is commanded were not to make the likeness of God. And that's how the early church understood it. We up to the time of the 8th century when we had the... The iconoclastic debate of the 8th century, but this is the way Bible believers understood it. The Vowed the Waldenses, all those Bible believers before the Reformation, would not make images of Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. This is biblical faith. What does the Catholic Church say? Paragraph 2132. The Christian veneration of images is not contrary to the first commandment, which prescribes idols. Indeed, the honor rendered to an image passes to its prototype. Whoever venerates an image venerates the person portrayed in it. They say that when you show veneration or religious adoration, which is really worship, to an image, you're going back through the image to the person. That's exactly what Aaron tried to do in Exodus chapter 32. We get the historical account. He said, let us have a feast to the God of Israel. They were worshipping the God of Israel. How? Through the golden calf. It wasn't that they were worshipping the golden calf. They were going through the golden calf to what Aaron said, the God of Israel. They were worshipping the God of Israel through the golden calf, that's what God hates. That is idolatry. That's a definition of idolatry: is to go through an image or to make an image to represent God. You have defined what idolatry is, and you say that it is not. You say it's not. God says that it is, and then they give an historical reason. Basing itself on the mystery of the incarnate word, the seventh ecumenical council of Nicaea, 787, justified the veneration of icons of Christ, but also of the mother of God, the angels, and all the saints. By becoming incarnate, the Son of God introduced a new economy of images. God changed his mind. He's someone like a Jesuit or something, you know. (laughs) He changed his mind. It was wrong in the Old Testament, but now... Since Jesus became incarnate, we have a whole new economy, a whole new system of images. So they say. It was from then that the Greek Orthodox Church, besides the Catholic Church historically, went into showing religious worship to icons, pictures of Christ, and other things representing God. It's horrendous. This is where most grace churches, or many grace churches, have been inundated. It was really sad when the Mel Gibson Passion of Christ was released how many grace churches had their whole church go to see the the movie The Passion of Christ. Horrendous. Churches that would not have Christ on the cross You know, at the back of the sanctuary or on the wall, they'd have a blank, you know, a cross like you have outside, but they wouldn't have the figure of, showed Christ on the cross. Idolatry, moving idolatry rather than stationary idolatry. With a denial of the gospel. Most horrendous has been the Campus Crusade, the so-called evangelistic ministry of Bill Bright, before he died, and it has continued on. Nation by nation, they've pulled down biblical faith. Horrendous. By showing videos of Jesus, the Jesus video, in many, many languages of the world. When I was in Poland in 2003, I found out why I could, could not make. The year 2000, where I was originally asked by Baptist churches to speak right across Poland. When they found that I was speaking against Campus Crusade and the Jesus video, I was not invited anymore in the year 2000. Pastors explained to me in 2003, when I did reach Poland, that this has brought down the Baptist churches in Poland. Three days ago before coming here I got an email from Albania and they thanked me in the email from Albania for exposing Campus Crusade and the horrors that they do in, in countries like Albania with their Jesus video. Idolatry plus a false message. A man-made message of you know dedicating yourself to Christ as you look into his eyes at the end. You know, something horrendously evil. But this is the world in which we are to stand. I find that we witness to Catholics and we witness also to people who are in these churches. For seven years I went door-to-door witnessing and some of the more profitable witnessing I had was people who call themselves evangelical. And we're into idolatry and into a false gospel. I ask the Lord to give you occasion in daily life to meet people who have brought up their children not on the Bible but on DVDs to see Christ and they don't understand why their children are not growing in grace and not interested in Christ because they're brought up on idolatry. Let this touch your heart so that we reach out to Catholics and reach out to those who've been inundated with the Catholic ideas. There's some churches which have pictures of Christ on the, when they're in the worship service. That's how horrendous it can get, and they call themselves evangelical. And so we really have to take this to task. I'll be mentioning this a little bit in the main address also this morning, and it's very close to my own heart. But by God's grace, we see more people and pastors repenting of this than anything else. We do see the Lord using his word to convict churches and bring them back to himself. But this is where we have to be as Bereans (laughs) contending for the faith because this is... This is the, the most vulnerable place there is. It starts off on the Sunday school. That you, you go to the, where they teach the children. You see pictures of Christ on the, on the wall. And you see child's Bibles with pictures of Christ on the cover. You see flannel graphs and coloring Christ and everything on and on. That's where it usually starts. But we stand where Scripture stands. Communion with the dead. Where did I get that topic, the last one? That's the way the paragraph begins in the Catechism. Paragraph 958. Communion with the dead. In full consciousness of the communion of the whole mystical body of Jesus Christ, the Church and its pilgrim members from the earliest days of the Christian religion, as honorable great respect the memory of the dead, our prayer for them is capable not only of helping them, but also making their intercession for us effective. So it's a two-way traffic. We can help the dead, and the dead can help us. You know, uh, you can commune with the dead. Um, this is what the Catholic Church teaches. You know, you pray to Mary, you pray to the saints. My sister, my second eldest sister, was praying to her dead daughter Susan, who died in infancy. And the Jesuit priest had told her to pray to her, your daughter, just like you pray to the saints. Commune with the dead. And uh, they go on in Paragraph 2683. The witnesses have proceeded into the kingdom, uh, who the Church recognizes as saints, share the living tradition of faith, their intercession is their most exalted service. We can and should ask them to intercede for us in the whole world. You should talk to the dead. Only God is infinite and can understand prayers in any language. Nobody, human beings don't have that attribute of God. We don't set them up as if they were God. And we're not to be any necromancer, anybody who calls up the dead. The Bible forbids this. And this is really sad. Catholics pray to the saints and Mary much more than they do to Christ or to the Father. it's, It's really quite horrendous. And so we reach out to Catholics and teach them to pray to God alone. We say that this is basic. Yes, it's basic, but it's good news to Catholics. I really pray that you would use this. We have many of these. You can take sets of them. And I think the pastor bought some here. They're quite easily to get. And I would ask that you give these out in daily life. And the Lord can use this But first of all, your own word, and that we would see many saved to the praise of the glory of his grace. Amen and amen. Praise God.